Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's September 10th, 1897, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that a 25-year-old London taxi driver named George Smith became the first person ever arrested for drunk driving after slamming his cab into a building, for which he was fined 20 shillings, which would be worth about £130 in today's money. But not banned from the road? Nope. Actually, that wasn't part of his penalty. He just had to pay up and then they let him go home. Guys like Dubai, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Do what you want. Just pay yourself. (laughs) It's fine. And he actually, he was very unlucky, I think, because this was after a cheeky Thursday night session, presumably, because this happened just before 1am on Friday morning. And he, unfortunately, a police constable happened to notice that that he was driving erratically down the street. And I imagine that being... No, Rebecca, what? he was a cab driver. I mean, I, everything you've just said in 1897 would make sense if he did almost any other occupation. But he's a professional driver. I don't think... No, but there was nobody he can't on, just go for a cheeky Thursday. There was nobody on board. He was the only person on board and he was not injured because the vehicle had a top speed of 12 miles per hour, which I think probably helped. I was going to say, was it helped. Pulled by horse in 1897 uh no this was an electric cab yeah it was an electric cab and they were very strange looking it's not mentioned in the reports but it was probably a bursey electric cab which had gone into service amid great fanfare just a few weeks earlier they weighed two tons nearly half of which was the batteries that were slung underneath um, and would later kind of be the undoing of the cabs they only lasted for two years because they had these enormous batteries they basically needed to generate their own electricity to power them and they broke constantly yeah it's essentially a milk float you're describing being used as a cab (laughs) they looked exactly like if you picture a carriage they were basically a horseless carriage you know with a box on the front for the driver to sit on so I mean he Mm. was lucky that they could only go 12 miles per hour because the safety measures if you could crash into a building on one probably weren't (laughs) going to do very much for you I mean, it's funny that you mention speed because the first thing that he says to the police officer, as reported by the Morning Post in its piece about this event, is that he tried to say, uh, officer, how fast was I going? And the constable says, you were going eight miles an hour. And he's like, well, I couldn't have been going that fast because I was going uphill and this thing has a top speed that is much less than that when you're going uphill. And the, and it takes the prosecutor saying, listen, mate, you're not being nicked because you were driving too fast. It's because you were drunk. And then he says, look, I couldn't have been drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great that in this first report ever, he's starting a classic speeding court conversation where he says, yeah, no, he's like, no, I couldn't no. be going that fast. No, yeah. I was doing six miles per hour at the most, you're 
Honor. <laughs> he also says, interestingly, he says, it's the first time I've been drunk in charge of a cab. And the prosecutor then looks down the list of convictions sent from Scotland Yard and he says, well, that may be the case, but you have actually been charged in the past with being drunk. And he's like, yes, but not while I was in charge of a cab. So <laughs> it's got so many elements of what, like, as you say, like it historically has gone on to be the way that people dispute the charges that are given to them in cars. And it's worth mentioning as well that this wasn't just any building he crashed into. It was 165 New Bond Street, which is now a branch of Givenchy. But at the time, it was the home of the celebrated actor and Lyceum theatre manager, Sir Henry Irving, who we mentioned in our Dracula oh, episode. No way. So he, he was, yeah, you know, crashing back. into a celebrity's house. So that probably <laughs> did cause a bit more attention to the story. Although apparently he only caused some minor damage to a water pipe. Again, two tons, <laughs> but only travelling at six miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> How did they determine that he was drunk, though? Because it's one thing to witness that he was, and, and for that obviously, circumstantially, to be the reason for the crash. But in my understanding, it wasn't until 1936 that there was any kind of breathalyzer that they could have tested him with, which, by the way, if you're a fan of on-the-nose names, was called the Drunkometer. Um, <laughs> Sounds like something you'd use at a fun fair. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right to ask the question, though, Ollie, because I think that he got very unlucky in having been witnessed by this uh, constable in the first place. But also, when they took him to Vine Street Police Station, they said, you're drunk. And he said, I'm not drunk. And so they had to call for the divisional surgeon who came down and he said, actually, you are drunk. So <laughs> even though they didn't have a drunkometer or, or whatever sort of uh, device to test it, they, ha- they actually did have, you know, some mm. sort of protocol, but it was just someone to turn up and go, yeah, yeah, you're, you know, you're smashed, mate. And unhelpfully for his case smith in court admitted having quote two or three glasses of beer i mean to be Mm. fair you know there wasn't really a precedent for this kind of case so smith may not have understood that he was essentially just outright confessing to drunk driving which had been a crime (laughs) since 1872 drunk Mm -hmm. drunk driving of any form of transportation had been made illegal it was also illegal to be drunk in charge of cattle (laughs) well they go at the same speed yeah true (laughs) It turns out that shame was a bigger motivating factor than criminal law here in Britain to actually reduce road deaths from drink driving. So um, they've fallen from 1,640 in 1967 to 230 in 2012. So it was uh, the first anti-drink drive campaign that was screened in Britain in November 1964 that was responsible, campaigners argue, for that statistic falling. It was that people felt embarrassed. The other thing that might account for that massive fall was that 1967 was also the introduction of the breathalyzer. So this was the point at which your blood alcohol level could actually be properly verified and at the roadside. So yeah, I think that might have also played into it. Yeah, because it must have been extremely difficult to secure convictions for drink driving because you obviously by the time you get to court, you've presumably sobered up and then it's really just, you know, the word of the arresting officer Mm. against the defendant. And apparently women gave up drink driving more slowly than men, which I find interesting, but they reckon that's because it's more likely that women would be the designated driver and perhaps would be only slightly over the limit, uh, you know, as opposed to men who would get trashed. Yeah, and there probably wasn't a good understanding until relatively recent decades of the different impact that alcohol has on men and women in general. It would be easy enough for Mm. a woman to think, well, I've only had two glasses, my husband's had four, so I better drive, not realising that obviously, you know, on the whole, women have have a lower alcohol tolerance. Yeah, well, there's also this business about drinking still affecting your driving the following morning, which I only really got my head around about 10 years ago. Like, if you've been out the night before... You're supposed to allow 14 hours for four pints of beer to clear your system. 
Like, wow. I think how many parties I went to as a student where I drove the next day just assuming yeah. I was Don't fine. you think it goes to show, as you were saying, the impact of the shame, but the shame is only on doing one specific thing. So that's driving yeah. immediately after you've consumed alcohol. And I think the UK yes. has probably one of the stronger anti-drink driving cultures. And yet, how many times have we all th- just not thinking anything of it, just hopped in the car with someone who's literally shaking and pale. They're having to stop the car to throw up because they're so hungover. Yeah. But we don't think On their way to get the fried breakfast yeah. that's somehow going to cure them of this alcohol. But we don't think anything of it because the shame hasn't been directed at that specific practice, even though we're still in danger. I wanted to find some of the best excuses that have been offered for drunk driving. And immediately the article that sprung up among the top Google results was from Somerset Live, which was rounding up just the most ridiculous and hilarious excuses that have been offered in Somerset, including one Somerset man who said, Do the accent. I can't, so maybe I should forward these over to you (laughs) to to join in. Um, But yeah, you know, this guy said, I started drinking after I crashed. Another person said, I'd only drunk this whiskey because it helped my toothache. But my favourite one was someone who said, an octopus was in the way. (laughs) And this Devon man had apparently taken a cocktail of 10 drugs, which kind of uh, explains the bizarreness of that excuse. (laughs) Actually, the toothache thing is almost a legitimate excuse, though, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the reasons why when people say, why don't we have a complete zero tolerance to drinking and driving? Why do we have a limit at all? Mm. Um, Campaigners, even road safety campaigners say, well, you have to have, I think it's 20 milligrams as a limit, not zero, because 20 milligrams could theoretically be reached by, for example, eating a few too many chocolate liqueurs yeah. or using mouthwash. Right. I mean, you just really don't think about that, do you? But if you did a breathalyzer test after you just freshened your breath, you could show up as having drunk driven. <laughs> I don't know how you're using mouthwash, Ollie Man. It's my go-to, a Listerine shandy. Don't start a Friday without it. (laughs) Sydney, my hometown, seems to have tackled the problem by making the rules so arcane that you could only possibly understand them when you're stone-cold sober. So, for example, (laughs) it's uh, illegal to serve shots after midnight. It's illegal also to serve alcohol in a glass after midnight. You can't serve four drinks at one time. What's the relevance of glass? What's the glass thing? You get drunk in a mug. I don't know. Maybe it's... I wonder if it's so that you can still sell takeaways so you can send to drink in your car on their way <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> sorry mate I can't give you a glass take this bottle of vodka with you have a great night that's about as good as my Somersetian accent. <laughs> you also can't serve more than two drinks per person after 3 a.m. So, oh, yeah. so much math. Wrap your head around that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's like a game show, isn't it? What Is this what they do in Australian school math classes, Arian? You're like, yeah. you and Bruce have had two glasses of vodka at 1 a.m. You're travelling down New Bond Street at six to eight <laughs> miles per hour. <laughs> Next time... You Belong With Me by Taylor Swift, which I had never heard before. 1.2 billion views. Oh, my God. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.